I'm not going anywhere. I'm bringing the teaching this morning. Uh, so I'm super excited to be able to bring the word um, for you guys here. And if you're online watching maybe later this week, I'm really excited to continue in our insomnia series. Uh, but I had a quick question before we get started. How many of you have ever had a horrible like hotel or Airbnb experience? Oh, nice. It's like the whole room. Everybody's like, yeah, I hate that. Uh, okay, so I, I have two. So just everybody go back to that experience and just kind of rest there for a second, okay? Um, my wife and I were, were moving back from Texas. If you guys didn't know, we lived in Texas for a couple years. And uh, we were driving back, and that's like a 38, 39-hour drive with two dogs. And so we stopped four times because for our own sanity. And so we, first stop was in Memphis. Everything's fine. Stayed at a great hotel that took dogs and everything's happy. We're all good. Second night, we stayed in Roanoke, Virginia, which if you guys, like, a little hidden gem, honestly. Roanoke, Virginia is beautiful. We had this great little Airbnb, super small, but like super quaint and cozy. And uh, by the way, I did not pick any of the places we were stopping. That was all my wife, Allie. And the next place that we stopped was the one that she was most excited for. It was in this little town in Pennsylvania called Belfont. Um, maybe some of you know Belfont. It's right next to uh, the state, the big state, Penn State. There we go. It's just the next town over. And it was like this cute little Pennsylvanian town. And uh, Allie was all excited for this town. She actually just walked in. She has no idea I'm telling this story. But we stopped at this little place. And from the pictures, Allie's like, oh my gosh, Brandon, you're going to love this place. Super cute, clawfoot bathtub the big drapes. It's something out of like uh, just Paris or something. You're going to love it. <laughs> First of all, we couldn't park our moving truck because there wasn't enough space in this little town. So we had to park it in front of some random dude's driveway. So that's how our, our night started. Uh, and then sure enough, we try to get our dogs in and it's, it's not as much of a house. It's more of like this little room in an apartment complex where you have to go up two flights of stairs and then you get to the door and the door is kind of like all marked up and beaten up. And then we open the door. And you know how like, I don't know, maybe you guys have never had this moment, but the second you like step into a room and you're like, yeah, this place is haunted, 100%. Like there are ghosts living in this room, 1,000%. And that's exactly what happened. We opened the door and it was like nothing like what we thought the pictures were. The pictures made it look amazing, and we found we looked at the kitchen, and, and online everything looked good, and then the kitchen in real life looked like it hadn't been updated since, like, the pilgrims came over, and, like, it was brutal, and that night, Allie did not sleep a minute. Now, I slept like a rock. I slept. I was right out. Allie did not sleep a minute. She just left the office on. She went through, like, three seasons. She's like, I'm not sleeping tonight, or the ghosts will get me. And a lot of times, what it's really like on the inside, it might not be anything like what we thought it looked like from the outside. The pictures of this Airbnb were amazing. And then we got there and it was something totally different. And how many times can we live our lives this way too? We can live our lives like this where... For the outside world, everything is good, but man, on the inside, 
We are broken and tired and hurting. I mean, a, a perfect example of this is our social media accounts. We love posting the pictures of when we're traveling or when our kids are getting along or when this is happening or when, when our boss like noticed us. We did a, make a little blurb post about that. But we're not posting when the kids are running around naked beating each other. We're not posting about when our job, we lose our job. We're, we're not lo- posting about these things because we want to make it look like we got it all put together when the truth is we're burdened, we're weighed down, and we're anxious. And, and in this series, Insomnia, uh, we've been talking about what keeps you up at night. What are the things that when you go to sleep, you, you just you can't stop thinking about? The things that make you anxious, the things that are almost like a thorn in your side that you just feel it every day, that you want to change, you, you, like want, you want that thorn to go away, but you just can't get it to. And today we're going to be talking about what do I do, what do we do with the burden that we feel weighing us down, the worry that we have, the things on our mind that we can't stop thinking about. Are kids going to be okay? Is my job secure? Are we financially in a good place? It's kind of like this, okay? A little weight, right? Got this at a goodwill, I think. No big deal. It's like a dollar. Um, now, right now, if I had this weight hooked around my neck, it's not bad. Like, I can deal with it for like a couple minutes. It's not that bad. It's not, it's not too heavy. So I, a couple minutes, I'm good. Now, minute five, minute six, starts to get a little heavier. Minute 30, four hours in, eight hours in, two weeks in, and all of a sudden, the only thing I can think about is this weight that's around my neck that I can't get rid of. And what was once easy to deal with is now weighing me down and exhausting me, and the only thing I can think about and I'm frustrated, and I'm tired, and I just want to get this go away. Like, leave me alone. Stop weighing me down. That's all I want. And worry, when we worry, it's like a mental weight that we carry with us wherever we go. And the longer it lingers, the heavier it gets and the more energy it sucks from us. So what do we do with it? What do we do with that worry, that burden, that weight that we have? Because the problem, honestly, it might not go away. There are problems in our lives that we know like, okay, I'm probably just going to have to deal with this for most of my life. Right now, I mean, think about coronavirus. We thought it would be gone. Here we are. Eight months later, we're still dealing with it. We thought it would be gone, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and and we're going to be looking at three different people uh, in the Bible who faced big problems. I mean, problems that like make our problems look small sometimes, and and how they responded to the problems when they came, and what you guys are going to see, what I saw when I was studying through this, is their lack of worry didn't come from a lack of problems. They had, pr- they had plenty to worry about. They had plenty of problems. In fact, they were probably bigger than some of the problems we have. 
We're going to pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 to 3. Um, and, and this is written about a guy named Nehemiah, um, and it's kind of from his perspective. And this is what Nehemiah 1, 2 to 3 says. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So right here, Nehemiah's like trying to figure out kind of what's going on in his homeland, like how people are doing. And this is how they responded. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. In fact, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So basically, these guys are like, hey, uh, Nehemiah, yeah, like, it's a disaster. Uh, honestly, like, the whole wall, yeah, that got torn down. Uh, the gates that kind of, like, let people in or out, yeah, those are just on fire. Uh, people are fighting. People are struggling. Uh, how are you? And Nehemiah is, is just broken. He's broken that his people are hurting and are in trouble. But here's what's amazing. Despite all of that, despite how big those problems were, this is how Nehemiah responds in verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. little side note here. Some of us, probably myself included, we just need a good cry. Honestly. I know we try, especially guys, we like to just like bottle it up. Maybe some girls too. We just like to bottle it. Sometimes we just need a good cry. Let's be honest. We just need to take 10 minutes and be like, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to cry my eyes out for the next 10 minutes. You have no idea how much better you'll feel. That's what Nehemiah does. But he doesn't stop there. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah's response to the problem was immediately to take it to God. Immediately. And how we respond when a problem comes our way shows what we're dependent on. If I dwell in worry and anxiety it's because I'm focused entirely on my power and not on God's power. Nehemiah's response is amazing. Is that what you do when problems come your way? Is that what you do when worry and anxiety come your way? Do you, do you panic a little first? Do you struggle? Do you think about how can I fix this? Because Nehemiah's dependency and security, I mean, right here we see that his dependency and security were entirely rooted in God's power and not his own. And oftentimes, big problems, they reveal where we find our security. The big problems that come our way, when we look them in the eye, all of a sudden, we find out what our security is built in. Nehemiah's trigger, Nehemiah's first instinct, 
was to take it to God. When the problem came his way, when that big problem that seemed so overwhelming, when his people were hurting, Nehemiah's response was immediately, I need to go talk to my God about this. Because that's where he finds his security. It's not in his own efforts and what he can do to overcome the problem. It's what God can do to overcome the problem. Security in me, we get worried because we don't know what to do. But security in God, we get prayerful because God knows what to do. And similarly to to Nehemiah, there was this guy named Daniel. Um, And just a little context on Daniel. See, Daniel lived in a time and a place where the government hated God hated people that loved God, hated people that worshiped God. They hated it. And that was the context for which Daniel was living. And Daniel was a devout follower of God, as we're going to see. And so in Daniel chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, Daniel is faced with a huge problem. And here's what happens. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius! First of all, you know these guys are sucking up. You know these guys want something. They're like, long live the king! These guys want something. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, look at us. How We're so powerful. We're so famous. Look, look at us, King Darius. That the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. See, these guys hated Daniel. And they hated that the king actually liked Daniel and listened to Daniel. And so they were going to do anything and everything they could to get Daniel out of the picture. So this decree goes out, if you don't worship King Darius, if he is the, not the one person, the only person that you pray and worship, then you're going in a den of lions. Is that still a thing, by the way? Are there places in the world that still have den of lions? That's kind of cool, but also kind of terrifying. Anyway, there's some, yeah, doesn't matter. Daniel 6.10, this is what happens. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Not just praying, God, God, make this better. He gives thanks. Even when a big problem comes his way, Daniel gives thanks. Because Daniel's security was not in the king of the land, it was in the king of the universe. Daniel knew At that moment, which king he was going to follow? His first allegiance was to God because that's where he found his security. So what did he do? He went and he prayed just as he had always done before the day the law was signed, before the day, before the day 
before the day, just as he had always done. And what Daniel teaches us right here is that when you're overwhelmed, your first priority should be prayer. When you're overwhelmed, your first priority should be prayer. But when you're not overwhelmed, your first priority should be prayer. See, when this new law came that that forbid Daniel from worshiping God, he did exactly what he had been doing. He just went and he prayed three times. He kept praying because that was his pattern. That was his routine. That was his rhythm. Daniel didn't wait for the crisis to hit to all of a sudden say, crap, I should probably pray about this. And that's what Daniel does that's different than how most of us pray. He was praying just as much before the crisis hit as he did when it hit. Because for Daniel, his prayers were proactive and not reactive. Daniel's prayers were proactive and not reactive. They were steady. It was a steady pattern in his life. All right, imagine this. You have, you have two kids, right? You've got a couple kids. One kid, every three months, every week, every two months, whatever, hits you up and says, hey, mom, hey, dad, uh, I need money again. Need 1500 got to make rent, need groceries. And you're like, oh my gosh, well, I love you, of course. Let me help you out. I'll Venmo you. Cash app, whatever. I'll send you a check. I don't know what you guys do. <laughs> the kid says, oh, thanks, hangs up. Right? That's it. That's the conversation. But you know, in a couple months, when that kid needs money again, they're going to call you, they're going to text you, and they're going to say, hey, can I get some more money? Okay, that's one kid. We've got the other kid over here, golden child, talks to you every single day, actively, nice, you're excited, that's the dream, actively is trying to build a relationship with you, asks you how your day was going, asks you what your greatest dreams are, asks you how your parents are doing, how's Graham and Gramp doing, right? They want a relationship with you. Which kid are you going to feel closer to? The second, you're going to feel closer to the second kid because they are proactively pursuing a relationship with you in the good and the bad. And some of us, this is how we treat God. We react when bad things come our way and we go to God immediately. We say, God, I need you to help me. God, I just lost my job. I need a job. God, I, I need this much money to make our, our mortgage this month. God, my kid just got kicked out of school. I need you to fix it. And then after he works in our life, radio silence. We have reactive relationships with God instead of proactive. And a mark of true faith is that you pray just as much on the days when you don't have that much to pray for. You're the kid that talks to God every single day, not just when you need something. Because you don't need a crisis to talk to God. So let's pick it back up with Daniel. Uh, The king finds out that Daniel has disobeyed his decree, 
And one, he gets mad because he has to throw one of his good friends into a lion's den. Two, he's mad at all of these people that tricked him into signing a decree to get Daniel out of the picture. So King Darius is just, he's just mad. He sends guards to go arrest Daniel and says this. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. Isn't that amazing? Like King Darius knew that, that Daniel would pray about this because that was the life that was reflected to others. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Verse 18, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. See, now King Darius has a big problem. King Darius has that weight around his neck that he can't sleep. He can't stop thinking about. And very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish. Imagine, like, he thinks there's no way that Daniel is still alive. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And a little side point here, what we see with King Darius right here is that bold faith and courageous faith is contagious. It's contagious. Imagine how King Darius' life was changed after what we're about to read. Daniel answered, long live the king. Which king is he talking about? He's not talking about King Darius. He's talking about the king of the universe. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you either, your majesty. Man, guys, when people know that we're facing big problems and we respond with faith instead of fear and we take it to God in prayer instead of try to do it ourselves and they see God work in our life, King Darius's life here was forever changed. Even in the lion's den, he wasn't worried, Daniel wasn't. Because he had so many prayer reps. He had spent so much time with God before he got to the problem that he was able to walk with God through the problem. And the more we pray, the more we are going to be reminded of God's power. Because prayer always, always, always brings us back to God's power. So when you pray... Even on those days where there isn't desperation, it's centering you on God. And some of us, myself included, I, I, I was telling Allie last night, I'm like, of course, God has me preaching a sermon on worry and anxiety when that's what I'm struggling with. It's how it always works. Every time. Why? Do we not do this? It's because a lot of times we've found dependency and stability in our own power. We've done really well in a job. We're financially in a good place. Our family isn't fighting. Our relationships are good. 
and we're consistently checking the church box off on a Sunday. But when all of a sudden these things turn sour, and all of a sudden we can't fix it, when that moment hits, all of a sudden it just crumbles around us because we've been leaning on our own strength and not on our Lord's. And all of a sudden it's easy to get worried and get burdened. I like to think of prayer as almost like prayer bricks, right? So each prayer, if we're building a foundation, each prayer is another brick in that foundation, And the more bricks you lay, the stronger that foundation is going to be. So that when crisis comes, we don't need to start over. We already have the foundation built because we have been laying brick after brick after brick after brick until that foundation that is so strong. When a crisis comes, when a big problem comes, we know that our foundation is solid. That's what Daniel did. The day before the crisis hit, the day before that, the day before that. One more story uh, before we close. We're going to look at the we're going to look at the Israelites, Moses, and, and this was the prayer practice of God's people um, after the Exodus. And the Exodus was basically they all left this place called Egypt. Well, I guess that's still a place. They all left Egypt after four hundred years of slavery. God freed them. God sent this guy named Moses and freed them. Exodus 33, verses 7 to 10, this is what it says. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Now, the tent of meeting was just where they would go and meet with God. It's where they would spend time with God. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. Why? Because they were expectant that God was about to do something. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, a pillar of cloud, imagine this, would descend. That was God's presence descending and hover at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses can't imagine seeing this. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would all stand and bow down in front of their own tents. See, what we see here is that the people of Israel had a regular uh, practice of prayer. They had a place that they would pray. They had a time that they would pray. And they had a rhythm to how they prayed. As we close, I want to let you guys know that as we are trying to develop a more, a better prayer life to face these problems, these issues that we all have, consistency is going to be key. Finding a consistent place to pray. Finding a consistent time to pray. Finding a consistent rhythm to pray. What do those look like for you? What is the place? What is the time? What is the rhythm for you? Oftentimes, the 
The, the best time for me to pray is in the morning, before just everything hits. And if I'm really, like if I'm really in my rhythm, which right now I'm not, totally transparent, I'm not in my rhythm. But if I am and I'm hitting my stride, I have a journal out to write down different prayer requests. That's, that for me is my most consistent rhythm right there. But it's hard. It's hard. What is the area of your life that you feel most burdened and worried? Because I would guess those are the areas you haven't brought to God yet. You're trying to handle it on your own. What area is that for you? Because I'd guess right now it feels like that mental weight that's still just sitting here. And you were doing all right, but now it's been weeks, maybe months. And that weight is just dragging you down. Imagine if you were grounded in God's power, that you weren't weighed down by any problem that came your way because your security wasn't found in your own ability. It was found in God's ability. Imagine if you got to the place that you pray just as much when you don't have as much to pray for because your prayer life didn't need a crisis. For you to go to God. When you're overwhelmed, your first priority should be prayer. When you're not overwhelmed, your first priority should be prayer. Because prayer is how we root our security in God. So to close, we're going to spend just a couple minutes praying together. So if you would, let's just pray. God, we pray this morning that you would help us to trust you more. God, so often in my own life, I try to just do it myself. And it doesn't, it just doesn't work. It doesn't. And so God, today, would you help each and every person sitting in this room? I know that we all have problems. We all have that thing, that weight that's just... It's just hanging around our neck, and we just want to take it off. We just want it to go away. Well, this morning, God, I pray that we would stop trying to take it off of our neck using our own ability, and God, we would just give it to you. God, that we would become prayerfully centered on who you are. God, that that would be what we, what we use God, to overcome all the burdens in our life, God. We love you. We thank you so much that you hear our prayers, no matter how big, how small. God, you just want to have a relationship with us. You want a proactive relationship with us. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.